Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So today I have an incredible family, Mariah and Ramon from Houston. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? So they're going to tell their story on um, their their diagnosis and then advocating for their son. Um, So I'll kind of let you take it away and, and, uh, you know, let the community know on how you were diagnosed. Yes. Uh, So um, I'm 25 and Ramon is 27. Um, We really kind of found out about Klinefelter syndrome at our typical um, 20-week pregnancy appointment after doing our um, genetic testing and things. We received a call from someone and she told us that uh, we wouldn't be able to do a gender reveal because for her to disclose to us some of the possible concerns, she would have to disclose to us the gender. And so we opted to know just so we could know of any concerns or what was going on. And that is when she told us that Mason had a high possibility of having Klinefelter's or XXY syndrome. Um, and so we did not opt to do the invasive, um, I think like the NIPT testing. Um, we decided to wait until after he was born. And so um, Mason's birthday is March 27th. And after he was born, um, they did do a test inside of the hospital and he was confirmed He was confirmed with a, a positive diagnosis of Klinefelter's. So I think that um, you did an NIPT test, which is non-invasive prenatal testing to find out um, like the gender and then to do, um, that's what the test was. And then the invasive test was most likely an amnio or a CVS. So you yeah. opted out of one of those, correct? Yes, we opted out of the amnio, yes. But I, we, I guess we did do the NIPT, yes. So I kind of want to hear about what was it like finding out that your son possibly had this diagnosis and how did you guys feel when you, when it, like when it came upon you? Yes. So it was very scary. Um, For me, when we originally, even when we spoke with one of the nurses and she told us that there was a high possibility, um, we were just kind of like, we were on the phone with her, but Googling at the same time, we had our parents on, Um, the phone with us as well and so we were all just very like not aware Um, and so we googled things and we didn't really know what to expect Um, and the nurse on the phone actually told us she said that although there's a um, high possibility she was like you know um, these tests come back as false positive all the time so most likely it's just going to be a false positive and nothing to be worried about. Um, And so honestly, throughout our pregnancy, we were kind of just like, okay, it's not going to be positive. We won't have anything to worry about. And once Mason was actually born and the diagnosis was confirmed, I was at home, newly postpartum, and Ramon was at work. And it was kind of like very shocking. And it was just kind of like um, anxiety driven. I would say, especially for me, I didn't really know what to expect and from the things that I saw on Google um, I was very concerned with just like is he going to have a normal life is he going to have mental health issues is he going to struggle with schooling and um, for my being in my profession seeing kids with all different types of mental health and um, educational um, challenges I was very worried. And so that kind of struck with me because I didn't know what to expect or what to come from this. And for you, what was it like when you got the diagnosis? Um, I really didn't know too much about it until I read up on it. And the doctor was just basically telling us, you know, the um, the outcomes of what happens, you know, you get large breasts and all that stuff. And for a male perspective, you know, living in this society now, you know how kids pick on you. That was my worry of just him. I will teach him the understanding of his body and everything, but kids uh, on a third party aspect would be like, oh, hey, you got this. And uh, so, you know, it was, a, it was a big shocker to me. Wasn't a big, you know, oh my gosh moment. Cause you know, you know, like cancer and all those other stuff, but you know, Klein felt the syndrome from a uh, internal um, perspective with his emotions and everything he might get picked on you know, with him having, you know, 
extra chests or you know something like that and that was only my uh, main concern for her she was all over <laughs> but i try to tell her there's a lot of stuff worse than that and with this one i uh, you know i'm not saying i don't love it but it it is treatable you know what i mean it's not like it's something that's going to be uh it's going to affect you your heart and anything it's just you know um what's the word i'm trying to use like uh, appearance wise and stuff like that so that was like that's what made me take the lift off my shoulder i can handle the parents you know what i mean you got you got stuff that's out there gym you know to build up muscle and everything and you know proteins and all that stuff so it wasn't a big oh my gosh but it was you know for his sake yeah i know he's going to have some trouble growing up and uh you know trying to figure out why something you know just little stuff <laughs> did the doctor um mention termination or anything like that for you guys or was it our doctor never mentioned termination. Our doctors were more um, not very like educated. I don't really think our doctors knew much about it either. And so I felt like with this being like my first baby, um, I felt like we were really like out on our own. Um, so we, our doctors didn't tell us termination. They didn't tell us anything great or bad. It was just like, this is your diagnosis and here's your baby. And did they did they recommend like genetic counseling or any genetics for for someone to help you out with understanding this more other than being on Google right when you <laughs> right when you found out? Um, they did at the time we were living in Philadelphia, so they did refer us to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, they have a specific Klinefelter's clinic. And so that was just our, hey, you have this diagnosis, we're going to send you to CHOP. And that was all we really had. And did you go or, or, and what was that, ex and yes. then what was that experience like? <laughs> so we did end up going to CHOP and I would say now having the ability to compare from Philadelphia and Houston, um, I think the experience at CHOP was wonderful. Um, being at the clinic, we went right when he was maybe like, six months six weeks almost one month old and they were very um comforting I would say now experiencing doctors in Houston um I think that CHOP clinic they were very comforting they were very um informative and one thing that I would say that I realized that they did um they helped me to make me feel like there was nothing that I should be worried about or um, there was nothing quote unquote wrong with our son. Um, they told us, you know, as of right now, everything's looking great. You don't have to come back into a year, just live your life normally and we'll continue to follow. So I just really appreciated the fact of like them humanizing our experience and helping us with any questions that we had. Uh, we saw a endocrinologist, we saw behavioral health, we saw like multiple doctors and although seeing a lot of people at once can kind of be overwhelming, um, they didn't make that experience like that at all. So I, I really did appreciate just the one visit we had at CHOP um, and how they helped explain everything. And it was really hard for them because they don't, they can't really tell nothing from a, a, six, -week a six week old baby. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not like um, it's with, with this, with this right here, it, you can't really tell nothing until he gets older. You know, he might he might break out of it. There's a doctor, a couple of doctors say he might break out of it. He might just be a regular baby. And there's other doctors saying he has Klinefelter syndrome. You have to give him this, you know. And so it's it's everybody has uh, everybody's trying to pull one ear, you know. Just everybody has their own discussion. It's not something that it's an answer like how cancer or Down syndrome or something. It's straight answer because it's been there for years. A lot of people say Klinefelter has been there for years, but a lot of doctors don't have a lot of answers. They just got suggestions. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. It's uh, it was diagnosed in 1942 by Harry Kleinfelter, so we're looking at like 81 years now of being out there. But you know, like you said, like doctors' suggestions. There's no, it's a spectrum, and so there's no one size fits all. And then also, like, not very many people are open and they talk about it. And so by doing this podcast and putting yourself out there, it's it's a vulnerable situation for a lot of people. But it's like, how do we change things if we don't talk about it? And so I, that's that's an incredible point of view. Mm. 
Yes, yes. It's been challenging even now in Houston. Um, we've kind of had the unfortunate experience of um, once we, Mason's now one and a half, and once we went to his one-year checkup here, um, the doctor just was not the best. The doctor kind of immediately um, kind of had on the goggles of, um, you know, one case fits all diagnosis. And so she just kind of recommended all types of things that just were like unbeknownst to Ramon and I, ranging from testosterone shots to um, him having possible um, like eye issues to him having issues with his legs and not walking. And it was, it was more of like, she immediately came in and started diagnosing him without actually examining him. Um, and so that was like very, like one of our turning points to really wanting to advocate for him and really wanting to do more research and more understanding um, because we were like, thrown with a curveball on all different types of things mm -hmm. and I guess that's where I could really see the difference this doctor in Houston made us feel like everything mm -hmm. under the umbrella was wrong with our son um and we just were not prepared for that at all yeah and um oh yeah you no, no, no. no go ahead okay yeah and it, what what killed me was uh and like I said you're a doctor you have your job you you know you did it for years you're a client felt this symptom. I respect your aspect of your professional liability, but when it comes to the numbers, when I, you know, when I asked her, um, the main thing was giving him testosterone, you know what I mean? And giving testosterone to a one-year-old did not fit right with me. I understand you're a doctor. So my main question was how many people did you do? All three of my patients, three out of a million kids is not enough for me to give my son. Cause you know, he might, he might have a reaction to it and, you know, just trying to, and I'm not saying test dummies, but, you're just trying to, I don't want him to, I want him to either be here or I want him to say, I want him to be out of that three to be like four of my patients. I just don't want to chance it by giving him something that you might think is right, which I think you do the research, client fault syndrome, but three kids is not enough for me to give my son testosterone. I mean, at an older age, yes, but right now it's, you know, it's it just, it was a hit for me right there. And and did did she mention like, you know, when you went to CHOP and then you came back to having this year visit, did anyone mention like um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, or what is it, speech? Did anyone mention any of that stuff and how it's covered? Like there's only eight states that it's not covered, but how it's covered up till the age of three? No. So the Facebook group is actually where I learned all about um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech. Of course, as a mom, I had my concerns around just Mason's development um, and my anxiety around that. But we came into, so we had to switch doctors because within the year we moved from Philadelphia to Houston. Um, so we came into the Houston appointment with our questions, concerns around his walking and his speech. Um, and so I had questions around, okay, how can we get connected into these resources, physical therapy, occupational therapy. We decided to put Mason in swimming early on for some aquatic therapy, but we had our questions. It's just our questions were not even listened to or answered. She spoke nothing about like, these are the things you can do. It was just more of these are the things wrong. Um, you're super late on to the goal of testosterone. Let's get him pumped with these things and we'll see you in five months. Exactly. And just like, there's a lot of stuff out there that's potassium, milk, that can grow your bones. Like I, I wanna, I wanted the doctor to give him a little bit more time because he's only one. So uh, I give him a little more time to age two to three, instead of just giving him something that's just gonna boost him up real fast and not knowing the side effects later down the road. Yeah, I understand um, ex exactly your your concerns with that there there is a study that is based out of denver um colorado at the extraordinary kids clinic that it's called the i think it's the testo study and they they're doing a longevity study on giving kids testosterone but it's i think it starts at like one month three or two months and three months like it's super early on not like a year old um, and that there's, I think that's the, the hard part about Klinefelder syndrome is there's so much misinformation, like doctors all were taught 
taught it like a little, they were taught about it for like maybe a day or a couple slides in a medical class 30 years ago. And when, when doctors, like we've had some families, their doctors Google it in the office when they're there and like print out Google and give them the Google information. Cause they don't, there's not very much information about it. So, I mean, you guys are being the best parents you could possibly be by like going with your gut and just feeling out the situation. So when you, when you found the Facebook group, like, was that in correlation with finding living with XXY or, or kind of how did that work out? Yeah. So it was all, it was actually, um, maybe like a week before our appointment, I started to get the anxiety. I started to get the worries around like, okay, he's not talking, he's not walking. So I actually searched on TikTok and I found you on TikTok. And so from your TikTok page, I saw that you had, I went to your website and then from your website, I saw that you had a Facebook group. And so I joined the Facebook group and that's where I was like, oh my gosh, I found a community. This is great. Um, And so then I started to read other people's posts and I introduced Mm -hmm. our family. And so that's where just from reading the comments and reading different posts, listening to the different podcasts that helped me to gather just like more questions, more things that I could ask, more things that I could possibly see if we could get referred to. Um, And then after the appointment, I went back to the Facebook group and I asked my questions like, has anyone done this? You know, I'm feeling alone. And just the, from the comments to the personal messages that I received, um, I've just felt like, wow, I should just go here for my medical advice, not the doctors. I mean, it, it, it's, it is something that with our community, you kind of have to be the expert in the room. It, it's we're the ones that are um, the most educated usually in the room, unless you're at one of these clinics, but there's always a second opinion that can be had, right? And there's always your gut instinct of like, is this, should I be doing this? Is this what is best? And, and with a with a new child young i mean what's what's have the what has you on this like advocacy for my child like is it because your son can't advocate for himself or why are you open public about this when you know you see you've already seen like a lot of people aren't um i think for me i'm more kind of passionate now about advocating because one he cannot advocate for himself and two I know that, you know, I have this kind of new purpose to raise him and help him to have the best life. And so with his diagnosis, with whatever struggles or things he may come to in life, um, I just want to help, you know, make it the best for him, make it the easiest path for him. And Mm -hmm. so it was really after that appointment where I felt like we had to um, push the doctor's buttons and tell her we declined her medical advice it's where I realized you know I'm gonna have to take this into my own hands and Ramon um oh uh, basically what are you saying like a message to uh, what makes what makes you like push or move forward to wanting to advocate for Mason oh oh it's I mean Mason's going to look back at this one day and understand that uh everything is okay I want you to understand that. I want him to understand you're not you're not left out. You might have something different about you with these other kids. You might have something, you know, a little bigger. But just, you know, hearing back from this, like, this is a normal thing. It's not something like, oh, Kleinfelder syndrome, no, every all the kid that this is a normal thing in life that you just gotta understand. It happens. It's not it's not something that, you know, we did or you know, anybody else did. This is a normal thing. So don't feel bad about it. And just understand that you are normal. And I want everybody to uh, by Harris podcast. It is normal. Kleinfeld syndrome is normal. The studies uh, can be a lot, a lot better, <laughs> but it's all about just uh, researching yourself. And you know, just like how the doctors are researching on Google, we can do the same thing. You know, at the end of the day. So you know, it's a, it's a regular thing. Just um, you know, just push on your kids. You know what I mean? Push on it. Try to help them out earlier in the stage like walking, you know, don't let them walk by themselves, try to help them out, give them some tips. So when they grow up, if they start to get a little bit heavy set, take them to the gym, you know, stuff like that to help them build that instead of just allow, allowing the client felt decision to do its job to help them build it to where you can be equaled out. 
Yeah, I, I definitely like that. And a, a quote that um, <laughs> one of the doctors that did, one of the moms that did have a positive experience um, in utero, her, her doctor said, not a child is born uh, perfect and not a single child is born the same. And it's like, mm-hmm. everyone has, everyone's different for a reason, whatever that may, reason is. And um, maybe, you know, Kleinfelder syndrome, maybe your son will have glycomastia. Maybe he won't. I think it's something around 35% of our community has, will, will have it at some time. But a lot of the studies are based on adults and they're not based on this prenatal diagnosis that's happening more and more now. I kind of want to go back a little bit and I want to, once you received your diagnosis, you told family, you armed yourself in, in, what you, you know, you accepted like, Hey, we're going to have this kid. Um, it's your first pregnancy. Were you able to relax and enjoy it? Um, I think that I was able to relax and enjoy it because I was honestly thinking that it was going to be a false positive. Um, so I think that I, after, you know, kind of got over the emotions of not having a gender reveal, Um, I think that I was just more of like, you know, it's going to be a false positive. There's nothing we needed to worry about. My family is, um, you know, both of our families are kind of very faith-based. And so a lot of them were also like, um, you know, we're going to pray about this. Things will be fine. It's nothing to worry about. And so I don't think our family did that in a negative way to like be dismissive. Mm -hmm. I think that was their way of, of being positive and trying to help us enjoy the pregnancy. And so were you able to, even though you got the diagnosis a little at 21 weeks, Mm -hmm. were you able to kind of just enjoy it? We did. I would say so. I think we, we, she did. She had a whole blowout. Um, and I get it and I get it. And I, I, I just, for, uh, you know, it's our first son, you know, and I mean, first child uh, together, and it it, it, it it could be a lot overwhelming, especially when it came to pregnancy, everything was intertwined, but I just told her it will be okay, you know what I mean? You got to look at it in a, a world perspective. There are a lot more kids that got worse news than us, and there are a lot more kids and parents that got worse news than us, so I'm grateful for just having that instead of just having something off the wall and just make me shut down and I, I, you know, after I got that, I researched it and just, just said, you know, that's, I'm glad in my mind, it's something I, I can help with. I can really help um, as a parent wise, instead of something I can't help as a medication wise. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great perspective. You know, at, at the same day, like um, knowing early is such a benefit to, to this. And a lot of what, what we get is like a lot of families that get diagnosed in utero that are thinking about terminating or do end up terminating. They're like, well, he's going to have problems and he's going to have issues and he's going to have infertility and all these things. Well, with a child that if you didn't have a prenatal diagnosis, you don't know if they're going to end up with leukemia as a child. You don't know if they're going to end up with autism or other learning disabilities or physical disabilities. And so it's like, a lot of people are kind of <laughs> hand over hand at 50 50 on whether it's kind of a double-edged sword genetic testing and in, in that aspect. But for, for Kleinfelder syndrome, you get to know early, it's kind of like a crystal ball. You, you do mm-hmm. know that your son might have challenges in these areas. So, you know, to look out for them, some parents hyper-focus and like, like dad is, is has said, he's like, it's going to be chill. It's going to be okay. Like, let's just, you know, let, let's, let's enjoy this moment. And some of the women do get, um, you know, the emotions and everything, especially with, with they want to do a gender reveal. Uh, <laughs> they, they're, they're hoping and planning for this. Did you end up doing a gender reveal just to, to with your friends and family, or did you kind of just, did everyone know? So at that point, um, we didn't end up doing a gender reveal. What we decided to do was we had like both of our moms on the call when we spoke with the nurse. And then after that, we just kind of called family members and recorded it. And we just made like a private video of everyone's reaction to knowing that he was a boy. And we briefly um, explained like his possibilities of having Kleinfelters. Um, But we didn't do like a big gender reveal and social media wise, we kind of just announced that we were having a boy maybe like six months or eight months when I was pregnant. And I feel like the doctor psyched us out a little too fast to where we had to do it. 
and you know having uh mason now i felt like we could have did it and you know just enjoyed uh boy or girl we could have did it and, and you know understand the fact that this is what we have to do as parents to make sure that he uh he or she at the time uh you can get better with the client felt decision test stuff. but i feel like they just psyched this out and just said you know it's better to know so we can know what the gen i, I just feel like we could they could have just told us had the gender reveal and then you know we'll talk about what you have to do after the fact so do you think do you think the deliver like the way that the the delivery was of the of having like this having Kleinfelder syndrome do you feel like it was over um it was like uh like <clears throat> presented in a negative way or or presented in a a way that um didn't seem fit for you guys Oh, I think it was definitely from Ramon's perspective and mine um, presented in kind of like a negative, scary way, which that's where I think I think he's saying like um, they kind of like scared us into you need to know this now because this is a scary diagnosis. Um, I do remember like they told us if you get a, if you don't get a call, everything's great. Great news. Have fun. But if you get a call, this is serious. And so when we got a call like, hey, we need to have a meeting, you know, something came up. It was we were under the impression like, oh, my gosh, this is serious. Something's wrong. And so they did present it as like, this is serious. Something's wrong. You know, you're having a little boy and this is his diagnosis. Yeah, that it's I I think how doctors or genetic counselors tell families is their direct result on usually if they're told in this kind of manner, they're not going to be open about it. They're not going to tell family. They're not going to tell friends. They're going to keep it to themselves, which a lot of people do because they're told like this. This is this horrible, scary genetic condition and your son's going to be like half boy, half girl, or like he's going to have all these health problems. And um, man, that's, it's crazy on how that can have such a negative impact on a family. And I'm, I'm glad that regardless of your guys' experience, you're here talking today, sharing your story and like advocating for your son and, and, you know, helping more people in the community by just like sharing your story. So once you had your son, um, how, what was the, what was that day like for you guys man we were like just coming out of covid and so i can only have ramon and my mom in the room and we had um his mom and my dad and my brother and his grandma on facebook portal so the day was just like amazing once i got the epidural i was kind of like oh i've got a funny thing life is great <laughs> and he came within like what 20 minutes he came within like 20 minutes after the epidural and he was just so perfect like any other worries we had were out the window he was just the perfect little baby he had so much hair which explained all of my um heartburns that i was having during pregnancy and we were just like over the moon i just couldn't believe i had this chunky and cute little boy what about you dad oh it was <laughs> it was funny with her she um before the epidural she was uh too much but after the epidural it's like she's like i'm ready to go like <laughs> push this baby out and it was quick too she was um uh, they told her to push what three times but after the fourth one, he was out, and then she just, well, she was just regular. It was, it was, it was real fun. I mean, it was a fun experience uh, to have everybody there, uh, um, in person and via uh, portal. So it was, a, it was a great experience for me. And did they do, did they do uh, like a heel prick or cord blood to confirm the di like to get the blood work for the karyotype? Since you didn't, since you opted out of invasive, they did that maybe like day two of us being in the hospital once they started to like do all of his testing the hearing the vision they did that as well that's aw that's awesome that they did it a couple days later because i've had some moms talk about how there's so much going on in that moment and you just want to hold your child and get that like chest time and mm -hmm. how the dads want that too and and mm -hmm. and so it's like there's all this medical stuff going on and then they have a heel prick as well at that time and they mm -hmm. they see their little baby like cry or something, and that that's the last thing that they want to do uh, that they want to see. So mm -hmm. just kind of 
I mean, it, it seems that every mom and every family in our, in our community that has a son prenatally, the day that their son is born, like Kleinfelter is non-existent in their mind. It's like, this is my beautiful child. Like all of that fear of seeing, like seeing them for the first time is just this incredible moment. Um, how long did it take for you to receive the diagnosis? And during that time period, were you like worried or thinking about it? Um, it took us maybe like two weeks after he was born and I was kind of like on and off. I had like a multitude of things just trying to adjust at home. Mason was a super colicky baby. Um, breastfeeding was hard. And so I was very much like emotional and trying to heal and trying to understand why is he crying? Um, and so the, the, thought of the diagnosis coming up was kind of like in the back of my head and so when we did get the call and it was something that like you know I was still kind of semi hoping it would be oh a false positive and so when we did get the call I just felt like that was like the the straw that broke the camel's back and everything just felt like it was just so hard for me to deal with and did you have a did you have a pretty rough time for a little while well, I would say probably for like the between like the next three days was a little tough for me. Um, my mom was there. My mom stayed with us for three months um, after Mason was born. And so having my mom there and of course having Ramon helped. But I would say between like that, those first three days, um, I was very I was struggling a lot emotionally. What were you what were you struggling with emotionally, if you don't mind me getting into the details? Yeah. I think I was struggling most with just like all of the fears around, um, you know, does this mean he's going to have learning disabilities? Life is going to be harder for him. You know, he, I, I made him not be able to have kids. Um, and at that time, I worked a lot with kids and youth who struggled with like suicidal thoughts and depression and so I was thinking like oh you know if he has different issues or if his body looks different he may be suicidal you know he may have struggle with depression so it was just like all the things around like blaming myself a little bit but also just being worried about his quality of life um made me like go back and forth with just like you know, how am I going to help him with this? How can I make sure his quality quality of life is better? Um, what does this mean? And so that's I, that's what I struggled with, with a lot. And I think um, her looking online made it worse. All right. So basically, um, what psyched her out more on it, just looking on online every time and just seeing other people's perspective with their kids and you know, she's like, oh, I, you know, I see kid, I see parents uh, with their kids, and they have this type of stuff happen to them. This type of stuff happen to them. And the, basically, the main thing I was telling her, they're probably five, six years old. You know, growing into that. You know, what I mean, and all of them probably have different symptoms and everything. So you got to go with, you know, what Mason has, and let's, you know, study uh, as parents. Let's study on what he, uh, the stuff that he could have, so we can be already be on the head of the game. And I think that was, I think the doctor made her psych her head out. And like, you know, she just psyched her own self out. Just, you know, just to stay calm. Because like I said, at the end of the day, when Mason has questions, we should already have the answer for him. And, you know, throughout her time, she's been, you know, getting a lot better now. A lot better. A hundred percent. So do you, you were kind of seeing, were you, because you said you didn't find the Facebook group until your son was almost a year old. So what, where were you? what were you looking on forums were you looking at like what were you looking on to kind of comparing your child to or were you just comparing him to other kids that were just around um so I think a lot of it was googling and so I kind of went down the rabbit hole of googling um I was at the time I was just finishing up my degree so I was pretty familiar with how to look into different research articles and my therapist was helping me look into different research articles as well. Um, but a lot of what I was kind of like comparing within the year came from Google. It came from um, like seeing what other kids were doing and just like looking at his development. 
and just seeing like, okay, you know, he's five months, the babies are five months, everything's fine. Um, so it was kind of just like looking at everyone and then Google as well. So you didn't see the spectrum of like, usually people that are online are usually having problems or the, a lot of the research around Kleinfelter <laughs> syndrome is like worst case scenario. And so mm-hmm. you don't see like the guys that are living their normal lives that have kids through, for, you know, through did donor sperm or adoption that have jobs and like aren't involved in the constant community stuff, whether it's on Facebook or through these podcasts or anything. So you're not seeing like the wide range. So like, um, <clears throat> like, uh, your, you know, like your husband is saying, let, we got to like look at our son for who he is and let him like if he's going to have developmental delays or if he's going to need these services, we'll, we'll, we'll know when he needs them, if he needs them, and we'll be the most proactive parents and we'll get him whatever he needs instead mm-hmm. of having your mind kind of take over. And well, what about this? What about that? Th- mm-hmm. That is, I mean, that's a great perspective. And there's kind of two perspectives with early intervention, which is like the speech, the OT and the physical therapy is parents either get qualified for it because of Kleinfelder syndrome in their state. And then they put their kid in it right away. Or there's parents that are like, let's wait, let's see if he actually needs this stuff. And, and no, no, there's, there's no right or wrong in, in this situation, especially um, you guys becoming the experts. So what's, what's your son like? What was, you know, the, let, instead of the diagnosis, let's go to like just him as a, as a kid, you know, what were the first couple of months of his life like? Um, what does he enjoy? Stuff like that. He was, he was pretty normal. I mean, he's a normal baby. Um, to us, he was really normal. Um, he is very yeah, he's, vocal now. Yes. His personality shows. He's He likes what he likes, and he's in his stage of wanting to be super independent. Mm-hmm. So he likes to climb up the stairs. He likes to get his own foods. He likes to scream. He loves to throw his toys. Um, and he likes to play catch. Um, and he's a lover boy, just like his mom. He loves to hug. He loves to give kisses. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe I'm biased. He's the sweetest baby. But just even as a baby, um, he was a crybaby. He was very colicky. <laughs> he cried often. Um, but even as a baby, he was super happy. He super smiley baby. Um, loved to be around people. What about you, Dad? What have you noticed as far as you know? What What do you like to do with him um, when you have got the t- when you've got the time? Oh, I mean, just play with him. Um, more so, like just trying to get him to walk. And, you know, stuff like that. Um, I'm having a good time with him not walking, so I had to chase him. But <laughs> uh, with just, just learning the basics of just uh, being a, uh, a one-year-old and just just teaching him the basics of being a one-year-old and stuff like that, to talk and to walk. Uh, uh, but for him, uh, physical appearance, emotional, he's just a regular baby, smiles, laughs, cry the same way, walks the same way, you know, stuff like that. Um, the only time it's when it's um, eye opening is when we go to the doctors and I'm like, oh, he's going to be sure and stuff like that. But other than that, uh, emotional and appearance wise, it looks like a pretty normal baby to me. I'm not uh, I don't want to psych myself out, read someone Kleinfeld and I'm like, oh, my God, he's he's not growing teeth or, you know, his uh, uh, private part is too small. I just don't want to psych myself. out. I just want to be a dad and, you know, for her to be a mother and just live a normal life. And dad also is the one who does swimming with him. Yes. So they love swimming and Mason is often splashing and pulling his dad's hair. So dad is a swimmer. I'm the, I'm the person that takes the picture. Mm-hmm. And so but by, by doing this and just raising your son as if it, he's any other normal child out there, which is incredible. Have you guys noticed developmental delays as far as like walk like milestones? Is he is he on track? Have you noticed um, low muscle tone or any of these potentials? He's gonna be a small. Uh, he's gonna be real small. Coming from what the doctor's saying, he hasn't grown to where uh, at the pr- appropriate height for his age. Um, other than that, that's. I mean, I would say that I've noticed the doctor did say that he was on the shorter spectrum. <laughs> Um, but I've also noticed that, like, the low muscle tone, um, I've seen that he kind of does struggle to walk. And so he's getting a lot stronger now. But 
as far as delays, um, I would say speech was one thing that I was concerned about and um, the walking and just kind of like trying to move around and use both of his legs. He kind of would just use one leg and have the other leg dragging along. Um, and so the doctor, the Kleinfelter's doctor that we went to see um, for his one year checkup had mentioned like his feet were turning inwards. And so um, now I'm like, I'm watching more for that, but real de concerning delays that I just saw um, would be like the speech, the walking, and um, that would be it for now. Yeah. He's like, Mom, I'm talking right now. Like, yeah. Is like, <laughs> you hear me? So I'm kind of, you know, I think we've covered so much about your guys, about come, you just, just your the diagnosis and, and your son. I'm kind of curious about family and then also like culture and, and some of the, some of these aspects. Like, what was it? you know, I, now that your family and everyone was there and, and everyone, <clears throat> how were, how are their responses to telling them about the diagnosis and telling f other friends? And, and now that you guys are totally open about it, it seems, it seems like everyone in your kind of lives might know about your son having this diagnosis. How has that been? And how, have, how have the reactions been? Um, well, I mean, my family, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, my family is like, um, how can I explain it? Uh, the doctors are trying to get more money off of you in a way of just like, they want you to go to speech therapy. They want you to go all this instead of like, you know, they really didn't, my mom really didn't believe. And my, my they don't, they didn't know nothing about client health decision to be honest. So that's why it's hard for them to think of anything. Same for her parents. They don't yeah. know nothing about it. So they can't give you an answer. They only do what doctors are doing is researching and yeah. just saying, this is what you should do. Yes. Or I think, but they're, they've been, what they're doing and what I love about it is they're trying to keep us off the negative thinking and just keep us positive. Even though they don't have any answers for the positive, they're trying their best to just say, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, Mason's leg is not, um, you know, not heavy where it's at, build it up stronger. You know what I mean? Get him to walk more. So they're, they're helping us from a uh, parent's perspective of what, what they can do only and what we can do to our best of our ability. Yes, and I would kind of just uh, add more to it. I think both of our families um, are in denial in a positive way. I think like how Ramon was kind of saying, oh, um, you know, oh, that's nothing or, oh, he's going to, he's going to grow out of it. Um, you know, I think like, that was more of like them being in denial where because they didn't have much education on it, they didn't know or they didn't really believe that he had anything wrong with him um, or they he didn't have any like diagnosis or anything. And so I think that our family was kind of in denial and I think that they're, they were also like Googling themselves. And so trying to support us, they were more of, you know, just like, oh, the doctors are trying to get more money out of them or, oh, the baby's going to be fine. You just have to put in more work or put in more things. And so for us, that's helpful. But me being a little bit more educated now, I'm like, that's nice, but that's not like what I need to hear in a way. I need to hear more like things that I can do, more things that I can be proactive on, more people who may be going through the same thing as me. Um, and so, that's kind of where our family stands. And I think friends wise, we actually haven't really told much of our friends, not because we're scared, but I, I think a lot of people are going to go to Google and research things off of Google. And I think just to be like very transparent, I think we probably have like that fear of people mislabeling him and thinking of our son as something they see on Google. And so I guess like, I know for me, I was in that mindset of before we tell all of our friends or all of social media, you know, we wanted to be fully educated on it to be able to, um, you know, spread awareness in the best way and not like take other people's feedback and be more scared or anxiety driven or anything. I mean, that's that's incredible that you've you've had that perspective. I mean, the perspective that you and your husband have of like 
the di- just Kleinfelder syndrome and then just raising your son is is amazing. Don't don't change that. That's it's so good. And um, you're facing the fears of of that judgment and all that by doing this podcast and putting yourself out there publicly and in, in, to this community. And it's I mean. I think you felt a little bit of the love from the community and as far as like, you're not alone anymore. Um, and you guys, there's people out there that have been through it before and you're giving back so early on by all of a sudden, like turning around. And even though your son's only one, like you're turning around and giving back to probably most likely the families in utero and, and people like, it's going to be okay. It's like, as long as we're good. And it seems like, you know, I think, environment and parenting is like such a big aspect of anything in life, right? If you don't have good parents, then, you know, you're going to have your own hardships and things like that. So why did you ultimately like, why do you, why are you advocating? Why, why are you, you know, regardless of what family and, and, you know, that, that possible judgment from friends, like, why are you doing this? It's well, to go about what you were saying earlier, um, about us being, you know, good parents. And we, uh, the main thing I would tell people why we balance each other out. You know what I mean? I have the typical dad answer. He's going to walk, but she has the typical mom answer. You need to teach him how to walk. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, we balance each other out to where if she's, if she's like psyching herself out, I'd say it's, uh, you know, you know, relax. It's going to get a lot better. So that's what I love about each other. We balance each other out. And I want people out there to understand the reason why I'm doing this and we, you know, she might have a different, different perspective is there are no right answers at this point. It's all on how you make of it. And it's all on how you go about it. If uh, you see your son's getting a little bit smaller, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's your job to teach him <laughs> the right way to live in a small life. You know, you know, you did the research already growing when he was growing up. So you should already have the answers. And I think, at this point, you need to research now. So instead of instead of just picking which one will he have, research all of them. So that way, if he has one of those criterias, you already have the answer for that. And that's the, that's why I think she's in these Facebook groups because she wants answers from a lot of people. So that way, she already has the acknowledgement. She don't have to psych herself out. She can just teach him now. So when he psychs out, he'll know he'll he'll come to us as the parents that will have his back. Yeah, and I think that I am particularly particularly advocating because I one want to help other young moms, other single moms, or other families in general who may get any type of diagnosis in utero, um, not feel alone or not feel like, you know, something bad is going to happen with your baby. Um, so I'm hoping that like us sharing and and speaking up and telling our story will help other people to not feel scared to share their stories. Um, But then I also think that I'm advocating for Mason and his future. So for whatever trials or life challenges that he may face, um, he won't feel different or he won't feel like an outcast. And so seeing us normalize it and seeing us be educated and talking with other people um, I'm hoping that as he grows up he doesn't feel any different and I, I think I saw something on the Facebook group that said our babies are, are just extra special because they have just an extra X chromosome and so I'm hoping that as he gets older and he can understand me more you know that'll be our saying that Mason's just extra special and not for not for people regular people but professional people too I want professional people to look at this you know, just for example, the nurse, uh, she didn't know nothing about Kleinfelter syndrome. And she's like, I want to do more research. So I hope she re- looks at our podcast, look at other people's podcasts and, you know, your podcast as well. And just be like, oh, this is really serious. <laughs> this is not something that, oh, we could just give a baby something like this. Study on this and understand have the, how we're trying to have the answers, have the answers for other people as well. So they can feel comfortable throughout their life. Yeah. And you, I mean, nothing changes if people don't speak up. And, and let, and let people know that like, Hey, we're out here and we, this is, this is us. We're human too. Um, and just cause we have an extra chromosome, we're not going to let it necessarily define us, but it's part of our DNA and we can't change it. So it's all about, I think it's all about acceptance and the aspect of like, you chose to have your son knowing that he's going to have this, you guys accepted it. Now it's transferring 
that acceptance to your son as he's growing up, letting him know about, hey, you're extra special, extra special. You have an, you know, you have an extra chromosome and teaching him age appropriate information as he grows up to where then he's coming back to you guys anytime he has questions and concerns or whatever it is. And he can always rely on you guys and you guys can educate him with what's appropriate at that, at that point. And, and like, I think it's, like people are going to get bullied regardless, regardless if you have an extra chromosome or not, people get bullied. And so it's all about how you, it's all about how parents like make you feel like, okay, that they've got things going on. Like bullies have things going on. That's why they're picking on you, but you're this way for a reason. And like this way is not bad. This way is not quote unquote, not normal. Um, and I think like you guys are young parents and you understand like, times are changing. Things are changing in the aspect of people are more understanding and um, people are more open to like uh, quote unquote disabilities and other, other things in that aspect. So it doesn't matter mm -hmm. where on the spectrum your son will fall. I think that to give you um, like hope for the future is, you know, I struggled when I was younger a ton and it took a long time for me to get to this point. But I think like every man and boy with Klinefelter syndrome will grow. It gr They grow into it and, and it gets better and better as and easier and easier as things go on. Um, but is there anything else that we kind of didn't touch base on that you wanted to cover? I know that we talked a little bit in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think we, you know, I think we've covered everything. I definitely, I guess the last piece of what I really hope to inspire or I hope our podcast episode shows is that, you know, even Mason being, um, you know, a part of a minority community and being um, African-American and Hispanic, um, I definitely hope just culturally um, we can help show families and Mason can help be a story of within our community of how to have these conversations and how to talk about um, all types of health things that may be going on um, and how to like normalize it and not make it feel shameful or make it feel anxiety driven. So I hope that we can do that. We are super open to speaking more and talking more. And so I'm just excited for what's to come. Well, thank you so much for having you on. And um, it's been a pleasure sharing your story. Thank you very much. We are happy to be here.